Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Hello there, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Health Mystery Solved. I had another episode in the queue for this week, but with everything going on, I thought the topic of dealing with fear and supporting the immune system from some very interesting angles where you actually don't even need a specific food or any supplements would be a very timely topic. As I'm recording this on March 17th, 2020, things are definitely a bit crazy and we are certainly in uncharted territory. Entire countries are now in lockdown, store shelves are emptying out, children are not in school, and the stock market, well, let's just say it has seen better days. Much of this is driven by fear. And while understandable, we have to remember that fear is an emotion. And emotions are created within ourselves more so than from the outside. What we think about and focus on is actually what creates the emotions that we feel. I always say that we want to focus on what we can do and what we can control whenever possible. And so I'm excited to bring you an interview that I just did with Dr. Mario Martinez to try and help you navigate the situation. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. I'm so excited to have Dr. Mario Martinez joining me today to help us through this challenging time as we navigate this virus and everything that has gone on. I actually interviewed him last year back in episode seven, where we chatted about our culture and beliefs and their effect on our immune system. And I thought he was the perfect person to discuss some of these quote unquote unconventional, but extremely effective ways that we can boost our immune system. And for those that don't know Dr. Mario, he is a psychoimmunologist and the best-selling author of The Mind-Body Code how to change the beliefs that limit your health, longevity, and success, as well as the learning series, how the mind wounds and heals, and how longevity is culturally learned and the causes of health are inherited. He's published numerous articles in professional journals and lectures worldwide on his research and theory of biocognition. Dr. Mario, welcome back. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. Me too. I think we're going to have some fun here and, and disseminate some good information. Definitely. 
So when most people think about boosting the immune system, they often think about washing their hands, avoiding germs, and certain known immune-boosting supplements like vitamin C and perhaps echinacea. But while those are very helpful, and for everyone listening, I did a whole podcast on this in episode 49, it's certainly not the only way. And that's because our immune system is quite complex and there's so much that goes along with it. So Dr. Mario, what makes our immune system so complex? The most important thing to to understand is that the immune system, by hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, had to learn to respond to a cultural brain. Uh, We have language now that animals don't have, so we had to create a cultural world that the brain understands. Uh, for example, a, uh, an animal can't read a stop sign and has no understanding of a stop sign, so we do. So when language came about, when consciousness came about about maybe 200,000 years ago, when we started burying our dead and making trinkets that ha- didn't have any function for tools or anything like that, that consciousness and the brain had to adjust to the symbols and the immune system responds to the brain, but it responds on its own too. It responds to what I call biosymbols. So it's not, it's not just what you put into it. It's not just a mechanical process, but it's uh, Candace Pert called it uh, the traveling brain. So it has its own way of doing things. And it doesn't necessarily uh, will ask the brain for everything that needs to happen. So, yes, you can washing your hands doesn't do anything for the immune system. What it does is it prevents attacks on the immune system. So that's very important. That helps. Uh, resting also helps. As you said, some of the things that uh, supplements uh, like vitamin C and zinc and other things that you can do also help the immune system. But the thing that's important to understand is that the immune system responds to stress more than anything else. And the way that that works is that if you have a stress reaction or a stressful way of looking at the world, then you secrete hormones, adrenaline or adrenaline and later cortisol that actually suppress the immune function. So, for example, in the case of uh, of the coronavirus, the coronavirus's best friend is panic, because panic causes an immunological reaction to a suppression, because you are in a state of alarm, and that state of alarm is the worst thing you can do, because you want to enhance the immune system rather than weaken it. And what we can talk about is ways ways of doing that, but it's important to understand that it's not just putting external things in or washing your hands, that's necessary, but it's not sufficient to maintain a very powerful immune system that can fight any virus and that has been fighting viruses for hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's so important. And a lot of what I talk about on the show is looking at things in a very multifaceted way. You know, how can we look at it from all angles? And, you know, with everything going on, the more tools that we have in our toolkit, right? And the more angles that we can support it, the better it's going to be. So what are some of these other ways that we can support our immune system that's not necessarily what we're putting in, like supplements or just washing our hands? Well, first, paying attention to uh, what the authorities say. Sometimes it's good what they say, and sometimes it's not. So it's very important to know that we pay a lot of attention to what I call the culture editors, people that have power in a particular context, like parents at home and teachers at school, doctors at hospital. and Sometimes the advice is given in a way that causes more panic than actually help. So to be aware 
what you can do is you can begin to ask yourself, oh, what kind of information am I getting now? From the news, you're getting some good information and then you're getting hysterical information. Uh, from the doctors, uh, they're talking about what they're gonna be doing about the virus and the susceptible uh, uh, ages and so forth. And for example, looking at the age, they tell you, well, if you're older, you're more susceptible. And that's partly true and partly not true. Because what happens is that if you're healthy at 70 and with a good immune system, you're going to be more able to fight a um, virus, any virus or any pathogen, than somebody who's 25 who has a compromised immune system. So it's not just the age, but if you're told that is the age, then you begin to worry about how old you are, which causes immune suppression, and it fulfills a, uh, uh, a prophecy. So what the first thing to do is just to be aware that the information is coming in with the greatest intentions, but you want to take the panic out of it. You want to look at it in a way that how can I do things that help me without buying into all that hysteria that's going on with the panic. Of course, you want to stay away from, from crowds and you want to um, do all the things that, that everybody knows about. But the things that, that are not mentioned is that, for example, the virus what kills the virus, especially the upper respiratory viruses like the corona and, and the flu, there's a, an, an uh, antibody called uh, IgA, immunoglobulin type A. And that IgA is created by the immune system, by the uh, uh, B cells, but it's in the blood and it's in the saliva. And one of the most important research that's come out in psychoneuroimmunology is that IgAs can be increased by some techniques that you can use that we can talk about. So what is the thing that you want to do? You want to be able to do all those things that they tell you about and then do ways to increase the IgAs. One of the things that decreases the IgAs is fear, shame, chronic uh, anger, uh, inability to forgive. Living a world of danger decreases IgAs. What increases IgAs? Compassion, love, but specifically done with the technique that, uh, that we'll be talking about. But for example, if you are a loving person that you care for yourself and you care for others, you're gonna have a better immune system than if you have a mindset of the world being dangerous and people are out there to get you, your general immunological response is gonna be lower than the people who have a fairly good sense of themselves and they love people and connection is another very important thing to do here. There was a study at Harvard that it's, it's the longest uh, longitudinal study ever done. It's been going on for 75 years. And they looked at all the variables depending on the time. At first, they started with EEGs, and now they, they do MRIs, whatever the technology has. And they measure every possible thing, blood pressure, cholesterol. And they look at what are the indicators of a person having a healthy life and having a sense of meaning and, and strong immune function. And they found that there's one variable. The most powerful variable of all is that if you have someone that you can count on in your life, that is the strongest immunological enhancer that you can have. It's been shown for 75 years. And, and that is important. It, one of the things you don't want to do is you don't want to isolate yourself. I mean, you could be at home, but you can make connections with your friends. You can uh, call people. You can email, whatever you want, but make a connection to not isolate yourself. Because isolation in itself 
causes some problems that actually have immune uh, deficiencies. So connection with people increases your oxytocins and, and other kinds of uh, hormones and, and peptides and, and things that actually help the immune system, help the heart, and, and keep you in a sense of, I have people that care for me. The worst that could happen, the, the, the fastest way to reduce immune function is to feel that nobody loves you and you're alone and nobody cares for you. That, what you're doing is you're depleting every possible antibody that you can think of. Mm, so interesting. So you mentioned that you, you know, deplete that in isolation and also in fear. And, you know, obviously with everything going on and the way that the media is talking about it, it is promoting a lot of fear. So what can people do to try to shift their mindset? Um, you know, obviously I think just having people know that it's going to lower their IgA will help, but sometimes it's hard just knowing it because they're still in fear because everyone else is in fear and panic. Uh, well, the, the media uh, can be very uh, enticing and very uh, addictive. One of the things to do is that if you go play by play, it's just too micromanaging what's going on. What's going to happen is the, vi the virus is going to go up, it's going to top, and it's going to settle. Uh, it'll level out and it'll come down just like every other uh, virus. Um, the, the, the swine flu killed uh, over 30,000 people and over 50 million Americans were uh, infected. So far, we've had some 50 deaths. So you have to put it in perspective. But second, you just don't want to go play by play with the news. So I would suggest that if you want to watch the news to stay up with what's going on, watch it once a day. At the end of the day, which is all the information that's been gathered for that day, if you go, which a lot of people are doing play by play, you'll see that there, was, there were some more deaths in South Korea. There was some deaths that, that had nothing to do with you, but it has to do with how your immune system is responding to what you're doing. So that's one way to do it, just to cut it out and, and then also allow yourself, you're at home. And if you're at home, you're not, a lot of good things are happening. For example, some companies are finding that because they're sending everybody home, they're finding that maybe 20% of the people that, uh, that their employees don't need to uh, go to work. So then they're changing their, their models and going, okay, 20% of people can work from home and we're saving money. So it's a way of learning if you use it that way. But another thing that uh, allows the immune system to, to enhance in general with IGAs, but everything else is having rituals, rituals that, that trigger the causes of health. What are the rituals? Having uh, dinner with family or with yourself without any um, digital help. So if you eat by yourself, light some candles, don't eat with your iPhone and don't go to dinner with your iPad because that's not going to work. The, the system's not made that way. Uh, it's so important, for example, that uh, you can have a, a conversation with someone and you can have a face-to-face, -face, you smile and you like each other, and there's a warmth you begin to secrete oxytocin. But if you do it on the internet with someone else, it takes a lot longer for the immune system to respond to that in the endocrine system. So we're not made for, for, for that kind of technology. The technology needs to serve us, not being servant of the technology. Another important, so getting to the point of what I wanted to make is that you're gonna be at home and you're used to being at work and you're identified with work and with your uh, coworkers, and, but now you're at home and you don't know what to do. The thing to do is to begin to create rituals at home, things that you can do with a family or with yourself, like dinners with candlelights, um, having conversations like group conversations with each other, um, playing games, anything that 
creates a connection that goes way back hundreds of thousands of years, which is the connection with other people. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're alone. Okay, then you have you form a, a, a group with a few friends that live alone, and then you have your Zoom conversations or whatever, and you have and you make a ritual that you're going to talk every day at four. The rituals are powerful ways to increase immune function. Anything that you do that has meaning, that you do it consistently, and that it gives you pleasure. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think so many people are also panicking because they're home and their children are home and they don't know what to do all day. Um, So that's a really good tip about making these new rituals and making connections and actually having the time to spend with everyone, you know, because normally we don't have that much time and getting out the board games and things that we normally don't have time for. I think that's great. If, if uh, If you look at it, for example, attribution is really important, as you know, uh, in in our perception, attribution is the cost that we give to things, and and our immune system and nervous system and endocrine system will respond to the attribution you give to things. So if you have a headache and you think that it's tension, the attribution is going to be very different than if you think you have a tumor. Mm-hmm. So the interpretation is very important. So one of the ways to interpret the coronavirus, if you have to stay at home, is here is an opportunity for us to get closer with the family. For us to create rituals at home that don't have to do with iPhones and texting, and for us to get back to the cave, to the times when we could do these things because we didn't have all these all these other interruptions. So, what does the coronavirus do for you? It enhances your ability to have a strong immune system at home, even after the virus is gone, because you're going to have the rituals that you keep at home once the uh, the alarm is over. Yeah, that's such a good way to think about it. Um, what are some other ways that we can increase IGA? You mentioned connection and rituals. What are some others? There's a, uh, uh, a specific technique that I use that has been shown over and over in, in, in many studies that you go into a uh, state of uh, contemplativeness, a, a relaxation, it's a quietness, a quietude to your body. And you do that for just about five to eight minutes just to get your body down and uh, into a, a quiet state, what, what's called a quietude. Once you do that, then you imagine that you're breathing from your heart. And although you're not, you can imagine you're breathing from your heart that is going in your heart and out your heart. And after you practice it for a while, it'll feel as if you're actually breathing from the heart. And what that does, it appears that nothing's going on, but what that does is called heart breathing. It creates coherence between your in-between heartbeats, which is the the part that connects with the uh, communication with the brain. And that's the heart rate variability. In between beats is called the heart rate variability. And that's a really good indicator for heart function. The more chaotic, the better your heart is in between beats. So you do that. And once you do that heart breathing, within a few minutes, you will have coherence with your brain waves. So it creates an opportunity for things to be absorbed faster, but it also reduces your tension, increases your ability to respond to adversity. That's the first part. The second part, while you're breathing through your heart, as if you're breathing in, inhaling, exhaling, you begin to bring in memories of times that you were compassionate with yourself or with others. Compassion has a psychoneurmonology, has a response. When you experience compassion, you're experiencing all kinds of immunological responses, but specifically it's been shown that IgAs go up when you do that. And you do it for 15 minutes, two or three times a day. That's another way to keeping the IgAs up, which are the ones that fight the upper respiratory viruses. So one, if you don't have it, it'll help you prevent it. And if you have it, 
it'll help you with the recovery in addition to all the medical things that you're doing. So that's a very simple technique. And you practice it, and the, the more you practice, the better it becomes. Now, sometimes it's hard to remember that the things that you've done that, that were compassionate. Yes, and we that was actually my question because, uh, you know, I think that we often think about being compassionate to others, but not necessarily to ourselves. So can you give some examples of what those could be? Yes, and that's why I brought that up because if you practice yoga, you're going to say, well, I was, I was very kind to this person and it doesn't have to be kind to someone. It could be, when was I kind to myself? When did I take a break for myself? That, uh, that I wouldn't have done, but I did it. I cared for myself. When was the last time that I was uh, compassionate with a friend? Uh, when was the last time that I forgave myself for being not perfect? And then you go on and you create an inventory of compassionate archives. And does it have to be just with yourself or not necessarily? It could be compassionate to yourself or to others, right? To others, but basically what you're wanting to get is love. Love is the idea with compassion. And the study that, was, that indicated this initially was a few years ago, maybe 20 years ago, uh, this uh, psychologist did some research looking at a video of Mother Teresa. And he had subjects in one group watching a video of Mother Teresa doing all her compassionate things with the lepers and people who were sick in Calcutta. The other group, she had them watch for 15 minutes also, the atrocities of the German army. And then he measured pre and post the level of IgAs, the level of the antibodies that fight the, the viruses. And he found that after 15 minutes, the people that watched Mother Teresa had extremely high IgAs. At that moment, they're better protected from uh, 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 the common cold or anything else. Those that watched the uh, Nazi army, their IgAs dropped significantly. So that's another way to tell you that don't watch uh, uh, things when you're eating and don't, don't watch negative films right now because the IGAs will drop. But then the interesting thing is that when they asked people about Mother Teresa, they asked her, what, what, is your, what is your appreciation of Mother Teresa? Some people said, oh, I think she's wonderful. Other people said, oh, well, I think she's a, a religious seller. Independent of what they thought of Mother Teresa, they still had the immune system response of the IGAs going up. Huh, that's really interesting just because you would think what you think could override that. Okay. That's right. The immune system went beyond that and, and picked up on the compassion that was a being observed rather than the interpretation that you make whether she's a good person or not. Mm. And, and that was the first study. Then there have been some other studies. There's a recent study, and this is what I'm using for this technique, that looked at, the, they used the Mother Teresa, and of course it always goes up with IGAs, but then they also, and, and they started with, the study was not done with heart math. They were just having people uh, watch the, the film. So they added, they added the uh, heart math. But then the latest is that you do the heart math. But if you do it in trying to find compassion within yourself and others, is even better than watching a video. Wow. So that's the latest. And that's even more powerful. So this is a technique that, I, that I've been uh, developing so that uh, you can actually increase IGAs a lot faster. And it's 15 minutes a, a time. And you can do it two or three times a day, not obsessively, just two, two or three times a day because the IGAs will stay up to about six hours. So it's pretty good. Oh, okay, great. So that's a great thing to maybe do if you're out and about and around people that are sick to increase your immunity after. Yes. Or, you know, if you're already sick, then it should help you to fight it. That's great. I think it's interesting too. And I don't remember if it was you that talked about it in one of your books or um, maybe I read it in 
one of your articles about healthcare workers. And, you know, people always say, well, how do they stay healthy, even though, you know, they're helping all these people with the virus and the flu and these other things. And, you know, it was because they're doing good for others and they're compassionate and they're helping. So it must kind of work in a similar way, right? Well, yes, but but if, and that's a great question because we need to look at the, the latest on that, is that by caring for other people, you're doing something that Aristotle called uh, the eudaimonic, uh, which is uh, you means good, daimonic means uh, spirit, so good spirit. It's better than hedonic, but and and it, and and it and I'll talk about what it does to the immune system. But what you have to be careful with is when you look at healthcare people, the ones that are healthy are the ones that are that are health. Let me put it this way: they 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 take care of other people, but they take care of themselves as well. The caretakers who only take care of other people and don't take care of themselves are not in good health uh, uh, in the healthcare system. So you have to differentiate, and what it means is you have to have a balance. You take care of other people, but then you you take care of yourself as well. And one of the indicators, one of the correlations between people, they look at people with cancer and they find some correlation. They find what they call the, the C personality, which doesn't stand for cancer, it just means a type of personality. And these people are, are first, they have a propensity for cancer, propensity only, but they, they take care of everyone except themselves. They're afraid of the world. They're afraid of not being loved. So part of the taking care is because they're compassionate people, but part of it is because they're afraid that they're not going to be loved if they don't take care of other people. So what happens if you live in deprivation and taking care of everybody else? You break. Yeah. Amazing how that works. Now, you also mentioned that, you know, when it comes to fear and specifically, you know, when we're saying that the elderly are more at risk and we have to really think about the authority figures and what they're saying, you know, if they're saying, oh, well, you're over 65, so it's not going to be good for you. You know, for people that are over that age, how can they reframe the situation so that they're not putting themselves at a greater risk just by listening to what the authority figures and media is saying? Okay. I want to, I want to be responsible about it, but at the same time, uh, try to uh, demystify this. Age has really nothing to do with illness. Age is just a passing of time. And what you do with that passing of time to trigger genes of, of, of illness or trigger the causes of health is up to you. It's how you live. I have a friend who's 90 years old and his wife was exposed to the um, coronavirus recently. And they've both been tested. They're both, they're both negative. Mm. But he's in great health. He doesn't buy into all that media stuff. He takes care of himself. He takes real good care of himself. But he's 90 years old, and he's got a great immune system. And, and I know that's just one example, but there are many, many people out there who are very healthy and older. So the key is to understand whether you're 70 or, or, or 20, how well are you taking care of yourself? And what are the things that you could be triggering to create illnesses? So the immune system, or especially the ner- the um, uh, genetic expression is a potential. You have family potential for one particular illness. It's a potential. You trigger it by the way that you live, by what you eat, the way you, the th- especially the things you believe. And there are there are countries in, in uh, Europe when uh, you're turned fifty, uh, social services will give you a cane 
because they tell you that eventually you're <laughs> going to need it. That's a sentence. And actually, there's some research that people that, that are given those canes and they start using the canes, the body will adjust to the cane as if you really need it. <laughs> <laughs> so because the body doesn't know, well, I guess I need it. So I'm, and, and you look around, you'll see people walking with a cane and they make 10 steps and then they, they touch the, 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 the cane. They, they touch the floor with the cane. They don't need the cane like that. So when I work with people, I tell them, look, take your cane for security, but only bring it to the ground when you're feeling out of balance. If you're not out of balance, walk slowly and walk well, and you'll see how you're not going to need the cane as much. So those, those are things that it's what I call the aging by, by observation. There was a study that looked at, um, just so you can see how powerful it is, they, they had people come in and they videotaped them, their walk and, and how fast they were walking. And then in that study, they had people write sentences from a story that was told that was very uh, biased against um, the elder. It was saying, as you grow older, you, you near death. As you grow older, you'll be weaker and feeble for 15 minutes. And then they said, okay, experiment's over. And they left and they looked at the videos. They walked slower and they walked with a wider gait like older people do. Wow, that's amazing. Just 15 minutes 15 of that. Minutes. Because you're, you're putting something into your brain. And since we're biosymbolic, your, your biology will follow. Yeah. Also, my, my son's uh, best, uh, his father, my, my son's best friend's father uh, was a marathon runner. And really, he was in his probably in his... Uh, early fifties. And he's really good. I mean, he won uh, all the races that he, uh, that he entered and for his age and so forth. But then, and he had a uh, premature uh, white hair. So he's running one day and he hears two teenagers uh, that are watching and say, look at that old guy go. Mm. And from then on, he began to have problems with his knees and he began to say, well, I'm getting, I'm getting a little too old for this. And he gave it up. Wow. That's the power of the tribe. And so if, you know, and I feel like this is something that probably happens to all of us at some point, not necessarily just an age, but someone may say something to us, you know, that then creates some kind of a trigger. Um, you know, again, it could be age, it could be something else in our appearance or something like the way we say something. So if that happens, what can people do to, I guess, become aware of it? And is there any way to shift that so that it doesn't then go in and affect us negatively? Yes, uh, there is. But let me tell you another study, because I like to always use empirical data to back up what I'm saying. One study actually looked at that. What they did is they had, it's very interesting, they, they had two groups. One is a control group where they do something different. But the experimental group, they had it rigged so people would come into the receptionist and then go to the uh, experimenter into the room. But what they would do with that group is the, the, uh, the receptionist would say, are you okay? And you say, yeah, yeah, why? No, I, I don't know. I guess you, you didn't look like you were okay. Okay. So then he goes over or she goes over to the experimenter and the experimenter again says, are you all right? You sure you want to do this? Why? No, I just wondered. You got two people there telling you something wrong with you. Wow. They measured their blood pressure. They measured their cortisol. They measured all kinds of things, immune function. And it went down significantly. The other group, they said, come in. We're going to talk to you about memory. No problems. Yeah, that's amazing. And I have to say, you know, this is something I've had a few personal experiences with as well, um, where I, I got a blood test once and uh, this was about maybe six months ago or so. And my doctor called me the next day and it's just, it's not someone I see all the time, but it's just someone that ran the blood. And she was like, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, what? You know, I was just testing like th uh, thyroid regular stuff like that. And she said, there's something going on. I'm like, 
okay, what's going on? And she's like, well, I need you to come in here immediately. Your platelets are really low. And I'm like, my platelets are really low. I've never had low platelets before. You know, I, I don't know. And she was like, your platelets are a four. Like you need to either come in right now or go straight to the hospital. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's really weird. And I feel fine. But then I started thinking about it and I was like, well, I'm not going to the hospital. I'll just come to your office. She's like, let's just rerun it and see. And as I'm driving there, you know, I'm sweating, I'm feeling faint. Like I remember calling someone be like, I, I don't know like what's happening. And I mean, I started feeling all of these different sensations. And of course I went there, we ran it. It was just a lab error. Like everything was fine, but it's just amazing how your body physiology will respond even if there's nothing going on, just based on what you're hearing. That's right. And, and, and the alarmist would do something like that. A responsible person would say, look, there's some things here in your blood uh, that, don't, that don't look uh, right. So I think it might be a false positive. We'll have to check it out. Why don't we do another blood test and see what's happening? Right. Yes. That would be much better. <laughs> but they don't do that. It's like, uh, I got to talk to you. There's something, what they're doing is they're preparing a biology to respond to the label they're giving you. Yeah. So your biology will respond and your biology on the way there was responding to the label. What happens when you have low platelets? Plate, platelets. Uh, okay, this and this and this, and you begin to replicate it, although it's not happening. Mm-hmm. But then you have the blood uh, test done again and say, look, it's fine. Then you go back into fine. So getting back to your question about how people uh, affect you, it's very important, number one, to understand that what people see in you is their perception projected to you. And when they say something to you about, uh, for example, you got to be really careful because this coronavirus is killing everybody. Be aware that that person's perception is a fear perception and you can buy it or not buy it. You can say, well, okay, um, yeah, that's how you feel about it. I'm being cautious and everything, but I'm not going to stop my life, that type of thing. But be aware also that there are people who are emotional vampires. They live to make your life miserable. (laughs) And those are the people that no matter what you do, they're going to constantly try to get you into a point that that you're as miserable as they are. Those people, you have to ask yourself, how much time do I want to spend with them? And why do I want to spend time with them? If it's a family member you can't give up, then then limit the, uh, what I call the milligrams of love. How how long, how much are you going to be with them? The milligrams of love. I love that. (laughs) Milligrams of love. That's all they can handle. And I have a friend who every time that I talk to him, there's some misery in his life. Every single time. At first, I thought, oh, poor guy. But after a while, uh, and, and now when he says, da 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 so what are you going to do about it? Well, I don't know. Okay, tell, when, you, when you do something about it, let me know. <laughs> because what happens is they, they draw you into that mindset. And this is funny because the greatest ethnographic work I can do, uh, I, as you know, psychodominology, I, I bring in the culture component. In the men's locker room, it's the best anthropology you can do. You can just listen. A guy comes in, he says, how are you doing? Oh, I guess I'm doing okay for my age. Well, let me tell you what my doctor said. And right there, they're, they're engaging in immune-depleting uh, bioinformational systems that actually, when you leave there, you're not, you're not in, in the shape that you would be if uh, someone says to you, hey, how are you doing? You look great. You're working out? Yes. And, and that's what everybody, they have to get into misery in order to connect. Mm, and if yeah. you tell them, I'm doing well, yeah, but for, for how long? <laughs> <laughs> never win. <laughs> right. You got to be careful with that. You have to become an anthropologist. And what, what, what am I feeding myself with? Not only bad food or good food, but what kind of bioinformation am I feeding myself on a daily basis with the news and the people that I surround myself with? 
Yeah. So you have to do an assessment of, of what your life is, your ecology. Yeah. And that makes sense to, you know, really pay attention to that. And then hopefully if possible, cut down interactions with some of those people, you know, and then I think hopefully things that people can do then is increase their immune system and increase the way, you know, how they're feeling by what they think about. So if other people are feeding them negative stuff, you can still feed yourself positive stuff. You don't even necessarily need someone else to do it for you, right? That's right. And there's something, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because there's something uh, uh, in uh, neuroscience and neuropsychology called the uh, default mode. And the default mode is a a network of uh, connections in the brain between the sense of self, between emotional memory, fear, all those uh, parts of the brain that have to do with that. And that is usually the uh, goggles that we use to look at the world. So what happens is sometimes somebody will do a great meditation and they feel well for a little while. All of a sudden, they go back to, into their alarm system. And one of the ways to find out what your default mode is, is several ways. One, when you wake up in the morning, don't get up, sit quietly and see what kind of thoughts come to your mind. And you're going to think, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to be careful with this. I got to be careful. And then label it. This is a either a uh, an alarm uh, mindset. This is a cooperative mindset. Or this is a fear mindset. That's one way. Before you go to sleep, do the same thing and see what you're carrying into your dreams. Because it becomes a vicious cycle. You carry the day to your dreams and your dreams to the day. Mm, yeah, I've done that before. And I found that in the morning, a lot of times the first thing I think about is, like you said, all the stuff that I have to do that day. Or sometimes I'll wake up and be like, oh, I should have a very busy day today. It'd be my first thought about how busy the day is, which obviously doesn't set the day up very well. So what are some things, if that happens, what can we do to shift it? Well, the the, the, the other thing that I was going to suggest to see what, what your actual most prevalent uh, default mode is, is that you do a, a meditation or relaxation or whatever, and get yourself relaxed, and then let thoughts come out and see what comes. And you'll start seeing the garbage coming out. Mm. You remember, I remember when I was 20, I lied to this guy. When I was 13, I da da da. That, that's, that's the default mode. To, then you're aware that the default mode is there, and, and no wonder you're not feeling well about the, what's going on in life. So one of the things that you can do is you can let, let all that junk out first, clean it out, and then ask yourself, what have I done lately that is worthy? Because the brain doesn't work by Pollyanna affirmations and uh, cheerleading. It doesn't work that way. It goes with evidence and then embodying that evidence. You stop and you say, okay, I'm going to do an exercise. What have I done good for myself and for others that I feel either committed, I feel proud, I feel honorable, I feel loving? What have I done? And once you bring the memory in, drop the imagery and embody the feeling. That's when you create new neuromaps that gradually begin to send changes into the uh, default mode. Yeah. And I guess it's also just collecting that information because I think a lot of people think that we have information and that's how the brain forms certain symbols, but it's really the other way around a lot of the times. A lot of times we can have fear, not because we have proof of it, we just have it. So if we collect proof, otherwise, eventually when we have enough proof, that could shift it too, right? Sure, of course, because you, that's what we call a, a selective perception. If you have a, um, you want to trade your car and you want to get a red Ford, you're going to see them everywhere you go. <laughs> 
because your perception is selected through the red fort. You don't want to buy a, buy a, red, a red fort. It'll go right by your uh, your area that, that you're not going to uh, respond to. It's, it's, it's the blind side. And the same thing happens. If you say the world is dirty, what, the, what happens is the brain pays much attention to what you repeat, whether it's good or bad. Because the brain interprets it, if this is repeated, it must be important for survival. So therefore, I'll, I'll put a priority on it. So if you repeat that the world is bad, the brain will conceptualize that. But then what cognition will do is cognition will say, how can I prove what the brain believes already? So I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to prove that the world is dangerous. And you go to the news. There we go. This happened. There's a, um, there, there was an earthquake here. Oh, there's a rape. And you prove. But if you change it, you say either I'm going to be open and neutral or I'm going to be looking to what actually connects me with uh, the goodness of life, you begin to find those things. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to shift what you're looking for. Yes. You have to shift what you're looking for because you'll, it, it, there's a joke. Uh, I always think about it because uh, there's this man that lost his keys and he's right under a lamp and the place is very dark except the lamp. Uh, and he's looking for his keys there. And this other guy comes up and he says, um, what are you doing? He said, I lost my keys. He said, did you lose them there? He said, no, but that's the only place that has light. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so interesting. So, you know, I just think that this information is so important. And I think so many people just don't think of it that way. And, you know, it just goes to show that our minds are so powerful, so much more powerful than I think most of us really realize or want to realize, you know, and there's so much that can be done. Um, to support our immune system that way, you know, in addition to all of the other things. So in summary, um, as we finished up here, what would you say are kind of like your three key pieces of advice uh, for people as they're navigating this uncharted territory right now? The first thing is to put things in perspective so that it's not something that it's, it's overwhelming. You put it in perspective with all the viruses and other things that have happened and see where it is. And by doing that, you also put it in perspective by looking at the, as, as modern homo sapiens, we've been around for close to 200,000 years. We have been able to overcome all kinds of things. So what we need to do is help our system help itself with, with the innate intelligence that we have, that it can fight viruses, it can fight anything. You're not cavalier about it and forget it. You take care of it by helping your system do what it, know, it knows uh, that it can do best in getting out of the way. That's the first thing. The second is uh, reducing the negative information that comes in that constantly bombards you and puts your mindset into an alarm that reduces immune function. So you, you don't do a, a, a news marathon and you don't uh, talk about it all day. Uh, when you call somebody and, oh, what about the corona? Yeah, well, I'm dealing with it. What, what's going on today? And you shift the subject so it doesn't become a consciousness, not an ecology of fear. And then the next thing is to look at what you can do internally to enhance immune function in addition to the external things that you're doing with the, the things that we talked about earlier. And one of them is that technique that I talked about in bringing up IGAs, connecting with people, all the causes of health that I talked about to increase the internal component of the immune system, what you can do internally in addition to what you can do externally. Because otherwise... Most people think, well, there's nothing I can do about the immune system. I just have to take some pills and I have to do this and that and get some rest. There's a lot more you can do from the things that we talked about today. Yeah. 
No, that's perfect. Dr. Mario, thank you so much for all of this. I think so many people are going to be glad to know about all of these other things that they can do. And these are all things that don't really cost any money and don't require a lot of time. Um, So, you know, if you're home and your shipments are delayed and other things, you know, are different, this is something you can still do even by yourself. Very much. And I think you brought up a good point. The reason that is not very popular is that you you can't bottle these things and put them into pills. So there's no money to be made. Right. (laughs) Anyway, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, anything that I can do, just let me know. But this will pass like everything else passes. The um, the Zen Buddhists have a saying that uh, that the uh, the storm will never outlast the morning. Mm, I like that. Well, Dr. Mario, thank you again so much. It was such a pleasure having you on again, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. We will. Thank you. I hope this interview was helpful and gave you a few things to think about and try in the coming days. If you want to contact or find out more about Dr. Mario Martinez. All of his information is in the show notes under episode 51 at healthmysterysolve.com. I will also link to an article that he recently wrote for the medium titled Panic is the Coronavirus's Best Friend, which has some more information about everything that we chatted about. I know there's a lot going on, and this is certainly not easy to say the least. But remember that while there are things we can't control, You do have control over what you focus and think about. Instead of focusing on fear, let's choose to focus on what we can do right now. We are all in this together. And as we just learned, helping others and being compassionate helps the immune system. So let's work together. Let's support each other with positivity and hope and help each other get through this. If this resonated with you, and you know someone who can benefit from this information, please forward this episode to them. And make sure you subscribe to the show because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. As always, the answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.